Welcome to episode 62 of Reading with Rory, the podcast where three friends discuss the 300 plus books on the Rory Gilmore reading list. I'm today's host, Erin. I'm Sarah. And I'm Liz. So today we are discussing everyone's most anticipated novel, The Crimson Petal and the White by Michelle Faber. Um, I say that because I think at least in our last episode, we had some relatively strong feelings about approaching this novel. So it will be interesting (laughs) to see how much of those feelings actually show up in the episode itself. All right. Good Um, good tease, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good tease. So this episode or this novel the reference to this novel shows up in season four, episode 16 of Gilmore Girls. This is during the, what I kind of call the meltdown of the one and only Gil- Emily Gilmore following the death of Richard's mother. And uh, I think it would be fun if we just listened to a quick little clip of this, uh, of her explanation of this story. reading the crimson petal and the white for my book club suki what a pleasant surprise what are you doing here i brought suki so she could check what equipment she's going to need for the wake and who the hell are you i'm so sorry there we go (laughs) does she talk about the plot i feel like she does at some point in that episode (sighs) she might but um but i that was the clip i really wanted to play because it's just it's so out of character for her you know she's sitting there in her robe it's the middle of the day she's drinking and smoking a cigarette (laughs) and you know all of these flowers and things have shown up and lorelei comes in and she's just completely astounded at the state of her mother and uh and what is she doing she's reading the crimson petal in the white so for their book club for her book club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for her book club. I got a 900 book club page. Book. This was a book really popular book, book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just saying, for her book club. She was reading it for her book club. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, there we go. There's where we get. Uh, and and that's kind of the. She may go back to it a little bit later in the episode, but that's kind of the. That she is does talk about sugar, I think. Yeah, point. I think she does talk about sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so before we enter the world of Victorian brothels and social climbers, let's talk about Friday night dinner. What are we eating today? Liz, what are you eating? So I am having a delicious treat, and Sarah's going to be mad, or maybe we'll just say the same treat. But we <laughs> just, just, like, is she going to take it? She I am going to take it. We just went and had a beignet ice cream sandwich Ooh. just earlier this afternoon, and... It had like some, I had some cookie dough ice cream smashed in between a beignet, uh, and wow. it was it was uh, the the anticipation was greater than the taste, but it was pretty good. Still. <laughs> but it was still good, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Like I mean, to me, it's just like okay. I mean, that was good, but it wasn't like life changing. Phone yeah, blow you away. Tell everyone about it, but it was really good. And so I mean, I'm open to new but things. But I feel like it's more um, like purist. The beignet's better on its own. The ice cream's better on its own. But they both. It tasted fine. I mean, it was good. Uh-huh. So, okay. Yeah. And and where did you find this? Thirst. Uh, it was at Thirst. It was like a little beverage shop that does like sees like weekly like Lots promotions of, of different yeah. things. And this was their weekly promotion for. I think the... we've talked about the soda shop culture in Utah before. Mm-hmm. That's a thing here. And um, since we are 
you know, basic. <laughs> we participate in it actively so. And uh, it's uh, usually just where, you know, you go and get a Diet Coke with some coconut and lime. But uh, Thirst also has lots of treats. They have pretzel bites and they have beignets on days. And some other days they have like, like oh, just from now until then we have this from this other local business. So I do like that they kind of like kind of pump up other local businesses, which is nice. But um what I don't like is I'm very susceptible to um, yes. suggestion. To, to suggestion. So if you put something on Instagram about your beignet ice cream sandwich <laughs> and then someone sends me this, I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, I better go. I don't even like ice cream that much. So why that excited me so much, I don't know. I know. But here's the other things I'm susceptible to. Someone else earlier today was like, yeah, I went to Chick-fil-A. So guess where I went for lunch? Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. I just, you just tell me something and I want it. So And on that note, totally what I'm eating guilty. for Friday night dinner is <laughs> 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 all right um that's that's great well so um i just wanted to say when you're talking about how they use stuff from like other businesses right is that what mm-hmm. you said yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so there was a thing about how logan utah their economy is really really great right now and it's because it's this article is talking about how oh well and this is an article from uh, cnbc so this is a national news outlet and they're talking about logan utah's unemployment rate and how the sense of community in logan like they're all out there to try and like help each other's businesses stay open so there's been this like very strong surge of trying to like buy local in the area to help keep the businesses open which i think is great and i love that so kind of a similar concept yeah, definitely. There's um, there's a good uh, vibe here in Utah for that kind of thing. I think especially it's interesting to see how social media props that up. And um, I was I follow a, an account that's essentially just like it's just this um, you know attractive couple that goes around to different restaurants in Utah and says this is a good restaurant you should eat here. Like they're not food critics. It's more just kind of like they have a big enough following that if they post about something they're just like letting people know about a new restaurant or something and. And they have a huge following, and they post this thing, like, someone's like, you know, I went to this little Indian place in a strip mall, and they said he just let the whole staff go, and um, he was worried about staying open for Christmas, so put it out there, and let's all go, and, um, and you know, help out this restaurant. I was like, that's kind of inspiring. So, um, yeah. I, like, I like when small businesses and social media can kind of work together to, to boost that kind of thing, and, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is good, but it's not good for me, who's very susceptible. <laughs> Just like go with the whim of this couple. <laughs> it's hard, okay? It's hard. It's uh, f- fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay, so Sarah, you're eating Chick fil A, you said, right? Yes. Okay. And, and, I don't know much and, to say and, that. And that. Yeah, okay. know. Yeah. All right, got it. So I, today I am eating um, a, well, I have not had, I think we've all been relatively busy from work. <laughs> At least I know. The majority of us on this phone call have been. Ouch. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's like I feel like passive aggressive burn. I don't know how I feel about that. Hey, you know. Well, now we know who. Seasons. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't going to say. Times and seasons. Times and seasons. It's very true. Um, anyway, and uh, so I have not had a lot of time to cook for myself, which means that, uh, you know, things like DoorDash or, uh, you know, those delivery apps have become my new best friend. But today, I decided to take a few minutes to at least walk outside of my house, and um, it's actually a game sometimes that my roommate and I play to see how long our alarm can stay on 
before one of us goes outside the house. We haven't hit a full 24 hours yet, but we've come pretty close. Um, anyway, so I went what outside a 2020 my game. <laughs> I know it's it's a very 2020 game. Hmm. So I went outside of my house today, and I went to Jimmy John's and got a sandwich and chips because sometimes a sandwich and chips from Jimmy John's just completely hits the spot, and it did today. And then I also went to Harmon's, one of our local grocery store chains here. For those of you who live in Utah, and they have these little brownie bites that are so good. They're really rich, but oh my You've gosh. You've talked about them before. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So good. And they have a new flavor out. It's a peppermint brownie um, for mm. Christmas. Liz, you should, should go mm. check it out. I'm going to have to. You know, I will now that you said it. So this is also <laughs> why I love our five-minute dinner segment. Like, I tried your Brazilian cheese bread. Like, Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. I mean, come oh, on. Oh, check it out. That's I'm so weak. great. I'm so weak. <laughs> I just don't want to admit it. I did. I just admitted it, but there it is. Oh, I love it. Um... Anyway, so that's what I'm eating today. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, now that we have our food and we're well fed, let's move on to our new favorite segment, Take That Jeff Bezos, in the spirit of supporting local businesses, and um, talk about where, I guess, I got my book. Although, we should include where you guys get your copies. If you We get mostly get them copy. at the library. I was like, local library. <laughs> <laughs> you can talk about I went to the holiday branch of the, of the Salt Lake County Library every single time. <laughs> No, just kidding. My crime and punishment I've had since my since high school, and my uh, Count of Monte Cristo I had since high school. So I don't remember where I got them. Yeah. <laughs> so, but still, though, yeah. that's great that you've had them since high school. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty fun, actually. Yeah. Um, All right. If I remember where I get them, I can tell. But this okay. it's mostly the library because yeah. I love the library. Well, hey, nothing wrong with supporting mm-hmm. our local library. And mm-hmm. actually, my copy of the book came from a library book sale. So library book sales are mm, awesome. I do like library book sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're big fans. Um, and this one came from a book sale at the Boston Public Library, which was very fun. Someone so, was selling this book? I'm shocked. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Boston Public Library was selling their copy. Of <laughs> once the, once the book club fervor wore off, no one else was picking it up, and so they were getting rid of those copies as fast as they could. That's true. Well, and this is the advanced reading copy, too, which is... Um, um, I don't know. An ARC. I love it. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I didn't know there was an acronym. Yeah. Really? Advanced reading copy. <laughs> oh, I mean, I figured that was the acronym, but... Um, is that like a real acronym or is that something you just came up with? No, that's real. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> I work uh, at the yeah. bookstores. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would expect you to know something like that. But uh, Well, so I got the ARC version of Crimson Petal in the White from the Boston Public Library book sale. That's how we're rolling today. Oh, it makes me want to go to a library book sale. Oh, they're so fun. I know. Apparently the Salt Lake City Public Library has uh, book oh, sales. Yeah. And I need to figure out how to find out when those are because I well, very much want to go. Um, if I'm, they're I'm gone. I think they're not doing them now because of yeah. pandemic stuff, right? But I've done, gone several times in the past, and it's you get it's a steal, right? You can get so much stuff, and it's so cheap. I've got a really good Princess Diana book there. I get, I've gotten a lot of, like, history textbooks. That shows you what I buy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure this one was, like, under $3. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not hard copy. It's a paperback. And so I would not be, I think that they usually did it where it's like a dollar or three dollars or something for paperbacks, which is, yeah, pretty amazing. And like even like three dollars for a nearly 900 page book is a good deal. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, um, now let's talk about the book itself. 
So I should say that we very nearly turned this into a discussion on season four of The Crown. Um, I'm still advocating that for that to happen, by the way. (laughs) Since I think most, we all prefer to talk about season four of The Crown, and it fit, it coincidentally fit right into our alphabetic It seemed uh, like, kismet, it was too perfect. I said, don't, listeners, I feel like you, you would understand, right? I don't know. Also... (laughs) Um, it's. It came. We wanted to watch it at the time when. Instead of like, do we want to read this nine hundred book, page book or do we want to watch The Crown and talk about The Crown? Because not yeah. only have we talked about the way here, I feel like I've had multiple conversations about The Crown. So yeah. it's so not just watching it; it's talking about it. Anyway, that's well, and this saying. season was pretty pretty darn good. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie. So I think this would have been a good season to have a podcast about if that was the direction we were going. However, we decided to stay true to our purpose and. <laughs> So, <laughs> I, I apologize, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> so, um, so instead of talking about the crown, we are going to learn a little about the crimson petal and the white. Um, now, the best summary of this book that I found, or the one that I liked the best, came from a review on Goodreads from user Steve. And so I wanted to read his summary instead of uh, some of the other ones out there. So he says, William Rackham, the purposeless heir to a perfume manufacturer, meets Sugar, the clever and willing young prostitute who suddenly fills him in with ambi- fills him with ambition. He takes over his father's business, enjoys a quick reversal of fortune, and sees to Sugar's ascent from the squalor so that he can have her all to himself. What follows is a whole lot of interplay between these characters and a well-drawn host of others. The primary ones are the aforementioned William, self-centered but not entirely vile, a would-be essayist and uh, wag, a man defined and even a bit constrained by his social standing and the times. Then there's the aforementioned Sugar, enterprising and smart, um, a devotee of Dale uh, Carnegie's How to Win Johns and Manipulate People, (laughs) riveting to see how her people smarts and Hooker's talent for prevarication play out in chess matches of actions and reactions. Then there's Agnes, William's wife, who is actually somewhat deranged. We as readers are clued into the cause, even though the characters are not. She is beautiful yet naive, almost laughably shallow by modern standards as a product of a finishing school. Uh, then there's Henry, William's older brother, who is in certain ways the better chap, would rather have been a man of the cloth than a man of commerce, as their father had originally hoped, earnest as the day is long, but unable to suppress those pesky animal urges. And then we have... <laughs> Isn't this great? I mean... <laughs> His sure. interpretation of these characters is bizarre. Generous? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> but I thought it was rather fun. No, so, it's good. Um, Keep going. I like it. I'm yeah. like, interesting <laughs> how he saw them. Okay, go ahead. Yep. So then we have Emmeline Fox, a somewhat iconoclastic widow who does social work to help prostitutes in need, the object of Henry's affections, one with a better applied sense of religion, ill but unyielding. Then we have Sophie, William's six-year-old daughter, who begins as a near non-entity but turns into a character with surprising depth much of her blossoming is due to a source i shan't divulge and then and then he says there are interesting others among them prostitutes whose hearts range from gold to substances not nearly so glittery a leech toting doctor who sees to poor agnes and a couple of william's friends from school abominable but pretty darn funny so that is um I'm glad he shan't divulge the source of Sophie. It was sugar. There we go. Sugar yeah, becomes his governess. I mean, her governess. So it's sugar. There we go. Yeah, I thought it. that was very funny, too. That, like, trying not to divulge too much of the plot. And yet, that's the one piece that he doesn't really want to, like, go into. Sugar mm. is the governess. 
Um, the actual best part of the book. But that's okay, <laughs> if I recall. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of our, I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting, you know, finding some, first of all, there's not a ton of information about this book online to begin with. And so for all of its, you know, popularity in the book club circle, there's not a whole lot of it about it um, in terms of, you know, uh, critiques or various um, articles that have been written on it. So uh, the, you know, world, the breadth of summaries is a little bit lacking. Well, that was, um, Steve did a good job. I mean, aside from his yeah. in misinterpretation of characters, but he did a good job. <laughs> well, we can get into that. Um, anyway, so, and I also wanted to say, when I picked this up, I could not, for the life of me, figure out what this title was supposed to mean. You know, why on earth is he talking about the crimson petal and the white? It, um, anyway, but the title, so the title comes from, comes from a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson titled Now Sleeps the Crimson Petal, which we are going to discuss a little bit later in our pop culture section. But, um, that's, that's kind of where some of this comes from. So before we jump into some of these ideas, I just wanted to get your impressions from you guys, Liz and Sarah, and see what you thought of it. Uh, Liz, what did you think of the book? Well, I read it, part of it, in like the mid-2000s, and I didn't finish it back then. Did you really? I didn't know you had read it or had started reading it. Yeah. So I read it before, like I'd read it like a long time ago and I didn't finish it then because I just did not find anything like um, enjoyable about it at all, actually. And so and it's pretty rare for me not to finish a book. Like I wasn't necessarily like offended at it. I just didn't necessarily love like any of the characters or the world it painted or anything like that. And so I just never finished it. I never picked it up. I didn't get into it again. I wasn't like slamming it shut and throw across the room, but like I just never finished it. And then, I mean, it is 900 pages long, so it mm-hmm. was a lot of commitment. But I got further than I thought. I I mean, then I, I can't remember exactly how far I got, but then um, there was a TV series that was on. Yeah. I watched part of the TV series, and again, it didn't hold my interest for very long there either. Um, I like a good period piece, but that was not how I like my period pieces. And so I um, didn't finish watching that either. But that should sum up what I think. I just couldn't even finish it. I just didn't feel like it was worth, like, like the the motivations of the characters were just too, uh, too... I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Salacious? Like, on purpose trying to for be salacious? For being salacious, yeah. Yeah, and I just didn't, I mean, I, 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 that doesn't, I don't need that. Like, I don't, I like a character, like, if there's salaciousness in a book and it happens, like, whatever that is, right, then that's fine. But if that's, like, the sole purpose of the book, like, trying just to bring more of this out, like, I don't necessarily find that very... Like there, what's the literary value in yeah? Like, it, this, I just in, didn't really like it that it much. For, you know, sex for sex's sake, and that's sure. uh-huh. and and this is an interesting book. I didn't finish it. I didn't finish the first chapter. I had no I had no desire to read this. It was nine hundred pages, and I was just like, you know what, I'm good. I mean, Sarah was reading the first like page of description where she was like a period piece, but not as boring. It's more sexy. <laughs> like and I was I'm like, reading all the. Oh, all the... that's such a stupid description. <laughs> <laughs> like. like I yeah, I was reading all the blurbs from the different reviews and stuff in the in my copy and I was just not I was like this is not a book I am going to like, I know, and it's so big and I have other things I want to be doing, other books I want to be reading. 
and just other ways I want to be spending my time. And I said, I made a very small attempt so I could say that I did, <laughs> but I, no, I have, I, it's, it, it, I, the opening paragraph actually was kind of, um, I mean, it grabs you and that's what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like coming for, it's like Sugar's book, right? And it's coming because this character Sugar is writing a book, I think. And because I yeah, did watch some Sugar of it. Sugar is basically like tell, writing this book to expose like how much she hates men and she's how a prostitute. How she hates men, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and it's definitely breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. And, um, and she has like a severe case of psoriasis and she talks about that a lot and it's gross. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so the opening paragraph says, watch your step, keep your wits about you. You will need them. The city I am bringing you to is vast and intricate and you've not been here before. You may imagine from other stories you've read that you know it well, but those stories flattered you, welcoming you as a friend, treating you as if you belonged. The truth is that you are an alien from another time and place altogether. And I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting way to approach, especially like, you know, your Dickensian England kind of time period, right? Where it's like these other stories flattered you and I'm going to show you this like seedy underbelly. And it's like, I'm fine with the seedy underbelly if there's some merit to the characters and like the growth and like that's not the point. But the point of this is just the seediness. And I, it just wasn't where I wanted to be spending my time. And so I didn't finish, make or attempt to really make any attempt to get past chapter one. Okay. Uh, fair, fair enough. I mean, we all know how I feel about Stephen King, and we I think we have our third of four Stephen King. Sure, up but here I think Stephen King has literary merit to it that this does not. Uh, well, and maybe well, my point was simply that like, not you know, different strokes for different folks, right? Sure, like, yeah. Not everything's going to jive with people, and I, for whatever reason, cannot get through a Stephen King novel. This one did not, you know, did not do it for you, which I think yeah. is perfectly legitimate. So, um, Liz. In terms of rating it, what mm. would you? How would you rate this mm. for what you did read? <laughs> I know because I was like, I'm not gonna bother now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I didn't. Again. <laughs> I was like, I already tried this, and nope. So I would uh, three less generous. than a three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even how you were talking about it, that just feels like a. I mean, that's a gift. Because <laughs> I do feel like it's like a strong negative, right? I feel like three is just like neutral. You don't you didn't like it, you didn't hate it, but this okay. feels like I'll go two. I'll go right. too. Okay. Woo! All right. All right. There you go. <laughs> um, Sarah, I'm guessing you're closer on like the one range. Yeah. Well, it's also probably not fair for me to rate it because I didn't read most of it. So, but yeah, what I was I read... like, you, you can't base it on one chapter. Yeah. So... Exactly. Right. I don't really have a reading. I didn't really read the book, but <clears throat> like, I just knew it wasn't going to be a book I wanted to spend my my time with right now. So, um. And I did watch some of this series, which I also found deeply unpleasant and did not make it very far into. So, um, based on my whatever exposure I had to this, I maybe yeah say like a one point five. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I and I will be honest too. I did not finish this book either, and I think some of that. Well, I, I mean. A lot of that was a product of, yeah, like how much of my time do I really want to spend reading this story? You know, do I feel like this story, um, you know, because there have been other books we've read that have been big books. You know, I think about things like Anna Karenina, even Crime and Punishment was a pretty hefty lift, right? But, um, but I also feel like at some point it's perfectly fine to make the judgment call that a book is not, you know, that this is not where your time is best spent. And so I, I actually, um, I got, you know, I got a decent <clears throat> way into the story, but I just, after a while I thought, nope, I just don't, 
want I just don't care enough to feel like it just was not there. Which you didn't care what kind of, happened to sugar. How far did you get? Did you get to where sugar like where how far did you get to it? Into it. Um, refresh my I memory. Got, I mean, I did a little refresher so I can sort of talk about it, but yeah. yeah uh, well, I mean, so I got to where I got to kind of like the beginning of her relationship with um, William Rackham. So actually probably not that far considering how big the book is, but I, <laughs> I felt like, like it was so yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> but I you felt sort like of it was quite it. a ways in. <laughs> I felt you like it was quite a ways me, in, so good work. Proportionately. <laughs> um, you know, given the other books that we read, it actually probably would have been a significant way through, but I mean, you read a few pages, but like as far as the plot goes, you didn't get very far. <laughs> well, I got farther than Sarah. Give me credit for that. No, I, I'm giving uh... you credit. I'm just wondering, like, how much of it we can really talk about. <laughs> so basically, we know she worked at a brothel. You know that Sugar, his, her mom, is actually the like madam of the brothel, mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. she wants her way out. She's very smart, and she gets her way out, and then right. it doesn't go well from there. Actually, it's just not good. But she, there you go. Thank you. That's all I know. Thank you. That's all I know. All I'm uh, just saying is that, like, it, you would. There's a lot. There's a lot more to it that I bet you probably. Well, and well, wouldn't and, have actually liked as you kept reading. You would have been like, <laughs> oh, well, well, like I said, right? Like I stopped because I made the decision that, yeah, yeah like this is not where I want to spend my time. I don't care, and I'm moving on from the story. And so, mm-hmm. of course, like, of course, mm-hmm. the story, the plot only thickens. The story only gets deeper as you go farther. Into sure, the sure, book. yeah. So. Yeah, of course. Um, but uh, but I do think that there are still some themes in here that are very interesting and some things that we can discuss that, that relate to why maybe none of us actually finish this book. Because also, reading through some of these reviews, and as we've talked about, the popularity of it as it circled through the book club scene, uh, you know, I think we may be in the minority on how we felt on this one. Um at least to a certain extent, right? Like a lot of the reviews I read talked about how amazing it was, how incredible the writing was, how breaking of the, the breaking of the fourth wall was, um, you know, totally worked and fit with the story and so forth. And so, um, and, and people seem to really be drawn to the fact that this was kind of the Victorian England that Dickens never really got to write. You know, Dickens kind of skated around some of these issues but he never really approached some of this stuff head on. And uh, Michelle Faber just dives right in and just goes right into it. And so I think that I think that, that may be something that people both really like about it and really dislike about it. So I'm curious to know, you know, because Liz, you were talking about the idea of a period piece, right? And what, uh, and that we all love a good period piece. The fact that we would have preferred to talk about The Crown versus this book shows that we all like a good period piece. But, um, you know, how do you guys feel about this idea of rewriting the Victorian story, Victorian England, to bring in some of these more raw elements that have been left out in most of the Victorian authors of the day? Does that make sense? Um, it doesn't seem to me, I haven't read it, obviously, but it's an interesting idea, right? And it's an interesting question. I think that, because um, I love period pieces, but I don't like them because it's just kind of in this, like, tranquil time, in this simpler time, and they wear pretty dresses, and there's a love story. Like, I think there's kind of, like, sometimes people um, oversimplify the that's the appeal of a period piece, and that's not how I feel about it at all. I think that they're... Um, 
I think it's interesting. I do think it's an interesting choice to kind of like, again, kind of turn over the rock a little bit, right? But I feel like there's ways you can do it without it being so repulsive. <laughs> like, I don't know. Just like even in that first chapter as it's describing this brothel, like it was so gross. And they show... um they show the in the on the show that we watched again didn't make it very very much further past this in the show but like it's disgusting and so it's like okay there's one thing to talk about it there's ways you can talk about it without depicting it in like salacious titillating ways and i'm not a prude but like i just find it unpleasant and so it's it's a function of um it's a function of I don't know. It just, to me, that doesn't seem like high literary merit. I was talking about Stephen King and like at least, you know, he's this big pulpy bestseller, but he, I think, is a pretty celebrated writer. I think there's a reason this isn't like people don't still talk about this book. You don't find lots of stuff written about it. People, it's not, it's not like it's survived past its initial like, ooh, ooh, a sexy Victorian novel. That's the selling point. And I'm sorry, I don't need that. Like yeah. there's other ways you can talk about these ideas and these and like these sad realities of these women like I think we should talk about how sex workers are exploited and 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 um the violence against them and that's what makes sugar so angry and 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 have so much hatred toward men those are really interesting ideas but I, to me it felt like this just wants to like luxuriate in the description of how gross it is and I don't know that that's necessarily edifying for me so yeah yeah, no, I think that that's, I think that that's fair. And I think, so I, I was talking with a friend recently about um, A Clockwork Orange. And we were talking about how, yeah. um, you know, the, the way that he writes in that story, right? It's, it's its own language, so to speak. And so you have to kind of figure out what the dialect is and, and what's actually being said. And by the time you figure that out, you're like well into the story and, um, you know, kind of well on your way. And, and my friend's opinion was that... By doing that, Anthony Burgess essentially censored himself in a yeah. way that he could address this like very, very heavy topic without openly addressing it. Right? And like, not it's even there. heavy topic, but like depicting really violent, well, yeah. unpleasant things. Like it's yeah. it's it was not even like a heavy topic. It's like you're avoiding the description by concealing it in this made up language. Right? It's so true. Yeah, and so by doing that, yeah, it it just it presents the story in a way that you can actually like swallow it I guess so, sort of and like deal with the themes that are being discussed but you're not you're not staring it right in the face you know you're coming at it you're coming at it from a little bit of an angle and it helps you just digest what's actually happening and in and this by contrast he rips all of that away and it is just it is it is every detail I mean part of the problem with this episode is that there's not a whole lot that we can actually discuss without getting into some pretty explicit content. And so, you know, the, and some of the articles and different things, like I would not even want to read some of that online because of the words that are used and the way that things are not online, but you know, on this podcast, because of the way that things are, are phrased and said. And, you know, I think it's interesting on the one hand to be realistic about what goes on in the world and to not bury your head in the sand about hard things. But I also, like you said, Sarah, I think, you know, at what point do you temper that, right? Like, where's kind of that line? And are you doing it just for the sake of being salacious and, um, you know, getting attention? Or are you doing it, you know, like, what is what is driving the, 
point behind that, I guess. And I don't know where I come out on this book. I think maybe it leans a little more on the salacious side. And like you said, the fact that it just kind of has melted into the background over time maybe is evidence of that because no one's talking about it as this truly groundbreaking way of talking about the horrors of um, what it would have been like to, you know, be one of these uh, prostitutes at this, at this time. But I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't really dwell a lot in the brothel scene for a long time. It moves on to other parts of, like, high society. And it's not like it's trying to make this, like, revolutionary change from what, like, Dickens would have said or what Thackeray would have said or what other Victorian novels would have said. It's almost like applying, like, a... uh, a 20th century or 21st century, like, woman's approach to uh, describe all this. Because I don't think Sugar actually fits as a Victorian character to me. Like, I don't see her as a Victorian character. I almost see, it, like, it'd be better if almost, like, an Outlander character where she was, like, yeah, she's sent a time back in time. And <laughs> she was, like, okay, I'm going to take these guys down because they're so weak. And it really is that. It's her, like, trying to take down these weak men. And... William's weak and the poor brother I mean he's like he should be a redeeming character and they just make him out to have these like weird fetishes too and then he died I think that's when I stopped is really with the brother and so to me it's not just like this world of Victorian culture that no one talked about it was like let's just explore what we think might be a part of Victorian culture that didn't get talked about because we want it to be sexier that didn't get talked about Mm -hmm. but like that's part of every culture, probably, that didn't get talked about, and <laughs> yeah. people don't talk yeah. about it because it's w- weird yeah. to talk about, Well, it's right? I mean, that's an interesting idea, right? Because I do think that, like, I don't know. I can't, it's hard to say. I didn't read the book, so I can't, like, cite an example in the book as being, like, this, you know, evidence of this idea or whatever. So Here's, an, ev- here's an example. When the doctor, and I, this could have really happened, but this could have happened too. The doctor goes to examine Agnes, and Agnes is just, like, confined to her room. This is William's wife, and you have to feel sorry for her. And, yes, that's a Victorian trope, right? And the doctor goes in and examines her and is basically kind of molesting her, which is unpleasant to talk about. I mean, mm. using, like, kind terms, right? Mm. That's even not a kind term, but, like, it is, that's what happens. And he keeps coming back. This doctor's creepy, and he's well-known. He goes to the, he goes and serves in the brothels, too. He's this well-known doctor, but really he's actually this, like, creeper. And, sure, that could be something to explore in Victorian period pieces that we don't explore. But, do we need to explore that? That's like one version of a creeper. That's probably not like a systemic problem that happened with every doctor, right? So I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. But again, this isn't trying to examine that, right? No. Like, I, I would be interested in a nonfiction book that's explaining that and talking about that and and sure how you research. deal with like mental like treating women in that time period. Yes, I and agree. maybe it's just a function of the difference between fiction and nonfiction and an approach to fiction. Like it just feels less artful to me to just. And maybe, I don't know, I don't know. Cause I well, can I see think that, there I are can... ways to do it. I mean, I think there are ways to do it. But I think, but, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, for me, this brings up a lot of kind of a recurring question of where do you draw the line with some of this stuff in literature, right? Like how, how Well, relevant... I think what you said, it's, it's, it has to come down to different strokes for different folks, right? People can, because it's going to be different for everybody. Uh, yeah, and and maybe that's the simple answer, right? But I think back to, like, I started reading Normal People earlier this year, 
And it was kind of a similar thing where I got a little ways into it. And then when I kind of got a feel for what the book was doing and where it was going, I was like, yeah, nope, I don't see. And I really like normal people. <laughs> I yeah. I thought that book was really good. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not, it's like, I don't I want to, to be a sense of like, because there's sex, I don't like it. Yeah. Like, like, I think sure. there's a lot of important stuff you have to, you need to talk about and explore when it comes sure. to those kind of relationships. But I think that it's. And, and I think you close yourself off to learning about so much of the human experience by, by, by doing that. Right. It's just, yeah. I find it's, 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 um, it's just, yeah, different people have different, where that line is for them is going to be different and, and that's okay. I think that it's, um, it just does eventually come down to, cause a lot of people like this book and I just did not, like, I just knew from the get go, this was not going to be a book that I enjoyed and um, but I mean, would I read a nonfiction book about this and devour it? Yeah. But like, this is just not how I like my, my fictional books to go. And I just, again, it was just a function of, of this just isn't for me. I think it came down to, for me, a lot of the ways that like, I just didn't really like the characters very much. And, sure. Yeah, um, and maybe yeah, maybe that's And I didn't really it. see where they were going to go with this and like mm-hmm. I didn't care if Sugar took down the, the Johns that she was seeing when she was a prostitute and I didn't really care if she rose up and wrote a book that exposed it all. Like it just didn't She was sympathetic to Yeah, her. it just didn't and, and none of the pe- like maybe the little girl was, right? The because I felt Sophie. bad for her, mm-hmm. but like and I don't that's when in the description of it. Like I didn't really get that far for her, but I just think you have to kind of have other other redeeming factors, other redeeming factors in a book. So even if there is stuff that you're like, oh, what's the appeal of this? There's probably lots of other things in the book that make it like a stronger a a theme that makes you think about life or it has the literary merit or it has characters that you want to like explore and relate to more. Whatever the redeeming factors are, the the salacious and the sexy stuff in it has to not just be the selling point. And to me, I felt like this book was just trying to sell. That's what that it was. It was it like was that's, the, that, that's the that's the pitch in the room, right? <laughs> How about a novel in Victorian England? Except all we talk about is just like, like, I mean, prostitutes and, yeah, and just like, like as 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 gritty and, as yeah. possible, right? And then, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. lots of Victorian novels talk about that stuff. So I do like I'm conflicted because it's like I do think that's an interesting way to grab you. Like, you read books, you've read stories like this before, you think you've been here, but those stories were flattering you, and this is not going to flatter you. And so, I mean, that's probably true. But, like, I think yeah. that, um, I think that it's just, I don't, I don't know, I, I didn't read the rest of the book, because I, so I can't tell if it, like, you know, really did, um, <laughs> Like, put its money where its mouth is, where it's actually like, okay, fine, don't flatter me. Like, make it repul- as repulsive and just, like, unpleasant as possible. Don't have any redeeming characters, whatever, but, like, you've still taken away something. But, like, from what I, like, have heard and and from people, like, I... Yeah, or the like, praise I, on the book is just it was good and sexy like yeah, that's look, <laughs> like that's there's all these is. ellipses where they're not actually praising the book. They're just like, well, this was yeah. new. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a new approach and that's all. I think the issue with this book is that at least the three of us walked away feeling like your point wasn't to expose some great, you know, some, you know, social ill about Victorian England so much as it was to that you wanted to write a novel about Victorian England and this was your selling pitch for making it different, that you were going to bring in some nitty gritty stuff about prostitutes and brothels 
And that was going to be how you were going to make your story different. And that's a very different tone than saying, I want to highlight what these women would have gone through at this time and, you know, bring a different light to this period of time that we kind of look at with rose-colored glasses. What's really interesting is, because I don't know that people, like, I think of this time in England, I think of, like, cholera, and I think of it being actually pretty miserable. (laughs) Victorian England doesn't sound ideal to me, but, um, and I've read lots of, you know, Elizabeth Gaskell, and I mean, I'm, I, I feel like there's that image that I also enjoy, but I feel like the, the net takeaway is that, yeah, it seemed pretty gross, but, um, I don't think Dickens sells it yeah, as very merry either. No, I don't either. But, well, that's um, true. That's but what true. I was going to say was, I, um, so Liz and I yesterday just watched the movie uh, Mank, which um, is uh, about, it's a period piece, and it's about the, uh, the screenwriter of Citizen Kane. And I was reading, um, I was reading some, some articles about it and some reviews and discussing, like, and one of them was talking about just the nature of a period piece. Why are you, you know, in, in the 21st century telling a story that's set at a particular time and place? And it's not for the sake of just that. Like, it's, it should be saying, for it, to, for it to be, have any kind of real meaning and real value, it should be saying something about today and what we, you know, what the world is like today. And um, I don't know. I didn't get far enough into this, but, like, I feel like the period pieces that are that have real merit and real lasting value um, are are trying to say something more than just telling a story with corsets. You know what I mean? Or I don't know. trying to tell, a, t- trying to make a Victorian period piece less boring for a modern audience when they like grittier stuff. <laughs> Let's make this more gritty. I guess. I don't know. That's, not, yeah. <laughs> that's not how it, that's not what I need to take last, away. Do you remember last year's adaptation of a, I oh, didn't watch Christmas it very far. Oh, a Christmas yeah. Carol. Christmas Carol. Where it was yeah. like, let's make Christmas Carol like it was the guy who made Peaky Blinders, right? Let's make Christmas Carol with but make it sexy. But make it dark, not sexy. <laughs> yeah. It was like make it super dark. I mean, it showed like Scrooge like peeing on Marley's grave. I mean, it was kind of gross, right? And so, um, I can't. I just said that. Anyway, <laughs> um, the point is, is. I think sometimes people feel the need to make their statement by being edgy and there's an audience for it and then there's not an audience for it and yeah. I'm not the audience for I'm it. I'm not the, because again, yeah. I'm not the audience yeah. of edginess for edginess's sake. I don't mind edge. I like that if they're, if it is serving a, a purpose, but if it's not really serving a purpose other than just trying to shock me, eh, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Does anyone kind of wonder what Emily's book club said about it? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, <laughs> once once I got into the book, I was like, this seems like an interesting choice for a book club made up of the women I would have imagined in Emily's like book club. For the same Rich reason women. that, like, I was like, this will be interesting to sit around and talk about because, like, the only thing to really talk about is like sex. And yeah. so, like, I guess if that's what I mean, sure. That's, that sounds like a fun, stodgy like Connecticut book club. Yeah. I know. I mean, I'm saying, like, like, I just would want to hear their discussion on it. Yeah. My guess is, is it's not, like, what about Victorian sounds so empowering. Like, most people are probably not analyzing <laughs> the feminism in it. They're probably right. talking about the sex scenes, to be honest. Um, very true. Well, I think we've kind of reached the end. On that note, I think we've kind of reached the end of what we can talk about as far as the book itself. But I do want to talk a little bit about pop, pop culture. So we've already talked about the, um, the miniseries. And uh, so it's a four-hour miniseries. And 
<laughs> there's an article in the New York Times, um, a, a review of, of the <clears throat> the show, and and this is this is one of the um, what they say about it, or part of what they say about it. They say the Victorian England, the Victorian London on display in the crimson petal and the white, a four-hour miniseries um, on. Uh, yeah, it's not the one we're accustomed to seeing on American television. Chamber pots and the rear ends of those using them figure prominently, as do blood, vomit, foul odor, foul odors, and the fully naked bodies of men and women who have not been to the gym in a long time, if ever. <laughs> and uh, that is true. I did see that. I was like, oh, oh, good. Yeah. This is unpleasant too, as I would expect it to be, I guess. But yuck. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, the other thing I wanted to talk about briefly was um, the the Tennyson poem where this gets its name. So just as a little bit of background. Um, so this, this section, this is part of a larger narrative poem called the princess. And it's, it's one of the songs in the poem. So basically the title character, Ida, who, who is the princess, she reads this, uh, song, so to speak called now sleeps the crimson petal, now the white. And, um, it's similar to a sonnet in style but it's inspired by a Persian form of poetry called the uh, Ghazal. But in both styles, the basic context is uh, the, the themes center around love that cannot be fulfilled. And um, anyway, so they kind of use that here. So um, in one of the articles I read about it, they were saying that uh, in summary, the poem expresses a lover's desires for her beloved at night, and the speaker fittingly draws upon the activities of other creatures of the night to reflect her own desires for her sweetheart. It's an unusually sensuous poem, even erotic, for a work of Victorian literature. But then the Victorians weren't as prudish as is often believed. And um, the poem has been set to music several times, um, including a song in uh, the movie, the 2004 film Vanity Fair. And I bring this up because Vanity Fair is also on our Reading with Rory list. And it's a Victorian staple. And it's, yeah, and it's Victorian. So I wanted to play just a, a little bit of the song for you that so one of the characters in Vanity Fair sings this song and the song is is basically the poem so I'm just going to play a little bit of this is it the one with Reese Witherspoon yeah we go <laughs> a little bit of a clip there and something to look forward to when we get to vanity fair but it is fun though and and that's one thing i really love about uh doing this you know reading through this list is that you see how there's so much crossover between the works that are included on this list you know vanity fair is including something from a poem that was also you know inspired the title of this book that we're reading here and then you have um and and there's you know even even within this, you can pull out a lot of these tropes and find similarities to others, like we've been talking about Jane Eyre, right? And the, the crazy wife in Jane Eyre, and you know some of these 
uh, kind of themes that pop up over and over again as you as you read through these and become more familiar with this so well in vanity fair too is like here's the top society right high society victorian Mm -hmm. and here's showing that deep underside of that too right so all these people are i mean i think this is really where it probably gets a little more edgy is that like not edgy but different is that instead of showing like all these proper men and women doing all these proper things it was like here's the proper men and women but they actually do improper things and this is where they go to do it and it's gross and yeah. that they don't show that in Vanity Fair. <laughs> so, I mean, there it is. But I like, it's interesting if you think about, like, the poem with, applied to it, too. So, that's... Yeah. I like, that also, was um, fun facts, uh, Romola Garai was in both the TV series of The Crimson Petal and the White and the 2004 movie with, uh, or Vanity Fair with Reese Witherspoon. So. Oh, fun fact, Romola Garai is in every British period piece she from really 1995 is. to like 2010. So. She really is. So yep. that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but does she have um, psoriasis in all of them? No. Just no, in this one. Just in this one. Just she probably one. hated it. She's like, so you have to put what on my lips for this? Like, you have to chap my lips? Okay, cool. Thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was interesting, too, how he made such an effort to describe her psoriasis and her skin condition, and that she was not this great beauty, but yet Mm -hmm. was sought after over and over and over again by all these men, and a lot of it was because she was willing to let them do whatever they wanted, and I was like, okay. Or she made them feel good about themselves, so well done, sugar. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Alrighty, well, I think that that is uh, as far as we really want to go with this book, unless you guys have anything else you'd like to discuss here. Um, Can I make a motion to discuss The Crown, right? Is that still off the table? (laughs) I think you might have to tune into our other podcast that we haven't yet started (laughs) called The Crown and why we love it so much. Um, Is there anything you want to say in like a sentence or two, Sarah? No. <laughs> um, I have um, way more thoughts on it than a sentence could, could Remember contain. the episode in Fagin where he explored the other side of the crown where it was not just the high society part, but what was really happening to the common people? Oh, they yeah. They did a good job on that there. Mm-hmm. Good yep. job, Liz. Um, okay. Well, oh, so let's actually, before I forget about this, let's talk about what this book inspired us to do. And boy, I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about what this book inspired you to do. So, uh, Liz, how about you? Well, it inspired me to not read it (laughs) again. (laughs) When I saw it on the list, I was like, oh, I'm not reading that. Guess what? Again, I've never had that reaction to any book so far. Like any other book, if I've already read it, I'd be like, oh, I'll try that again. Right? Or I'll give that another revisit. And I did not have it this time. So um, I'm proud of myself for saying no and putting boundaries on my time because Good I'm busy. Good job, Liz. So, yes. <laughs> like, okay. sometimes I have to learn when to say no to stuff, and I said no to this. So, um, that's what inspired me to do. Carry on. <laughs> Setting boundaries. Right, uh, it's a little skill enough. we can all, you know, be better at. Yeah. <laughs> so, it inspired Liz to say no. Okay, so, uh, Sarah, what about you? Um, it inspired me to read Mansfield Park instead. Okay. Because I was just like, ah. Oh, that's how I feel a like better reading. period piece. To I think so. Piece. I, I actually have a lot of thoughts about Mansfield Park, and I am very sad that it's not on our list because I think that it's a very complicated, interesting novel that is misunderstood and um, under 
valued in general. You should so be an English major. I got to talk about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> well, basically what I'm taking away from this is that this book inspired Sarah to look at almost any other period piece yeah, besides maybe. this one. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. We've got The Crown. We've got Mansfield Park. We could probably throw a bunch of others on the list. Um, okay. And uh, for me, I honestly didn't really have anything on this one. I just kind of read it. The whole time I read it, it was just kind of like a big old shrug. Like, okay. And then I just sort of, like, moved on. Like, it, it was just, you know, like, I don't really care about this, and I don't really want to read more of this, so goodbye. And I <laughs> so just moved on. You're inspired to, to nothing. It, you're forgettable. <laughs> you were not inspired. Yeah. Is this yeah, I was not inspired. I was not very inspired by this one. So there was, I mean, initially I thought, oh, I'd like, to, you know, maybe I'm interested to see what this miniseries is all about. And then I started reading about the miniseries and I no. watched the trailer. That's and gross. I was like, nope, JK, <laughs> not interested in that. If I'm not interested in the book, why would I be interested in the miniseries? Because it would obviously be worse. Anyway, so that's fun. Um, okay, well, we would love to know what your thoughts are about the Crimson Petal and the White. What your book you... club say about it? <laughs> exactly. Do you agree with us? Do you think we are totally crazy for not loving this, as many other people have? We are open to the feedback. Come find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Reading with Rory and let us know how you feel about it or join the conversation on our website at readingwithrory.com. And um, again, as always, please don't forget to leave us a review and tell us and others what you think of our podcast. We love hearing about it and it helps others find us when they are looking for new things to listen to and to read. So we um, definitely appreciate the reviews. Next time in Reading with Rory, we're going to be discussing The Crucible by Arthur Miller, which is much shorter in duration. And I am super excited about that so <laughs> if for no I other reason too, actually <laughs> i'm really excited not because it's short i love i love this period i love talking about this so that's all yeah i think we'll have a good conversation i'm looking forward to it so uh, anyway pull out your crucibles probably from your high school english classes and get ready to join us next time on reading with rory